Blog Talk Radio. Hi there. I'm Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio, and this show is a celebration of baby boomers who are embracing life as we grow older. But truth be told, we do face a number of challenges when it comes to aging with both mental and physical health, and we all want to make life in our golden years truly golden. So that's why today's show promises to be incredibly helpful. Our guest, Dr. David Bernstein, graduated from Albany Medical College and practiced internal medicine and geriatrics in Clearwater, Florida for 40 years before retiring in December 2020. In the final 10 years of his practice, Dr. Bernstein published four books that addressed his passion for longevity, helping people remain happy and healthy, and avoiding the pitfalls of aging. And boy, Dr. Bernstein, we all want to hear from you. This is a very important topic to those of us on the feisty side of 50. So welcome. Oh, thank you, Eileen. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Well, before we begin with your tips, and I know your amazing uh, choices of things that we can do to to give ourselves that mental and physical health as we age, I got to say, I love the titles of your two latest books. I've got some good news and bad news. You're old. I think that's great. And The Power of Five, the ultimate formula for longevity and remaining useful. But before we get into all these uh, science-backed tips you have for us, I'd like to start a little bit about you and your personal background. So tell me a little bit about yourself and what led you to become a a geriatric specialist. Well, I'm a mid-baby boomer, so I fit in right with your audience. Uh, I would consider myself that, and in everything that I do and everything that I write. Um, I grew up on Long Island, New York, um, and um, I always wanted to be a doctor. Um, I think my family influenced me in one way or another, their admiration for physicians, and so that was one thing. Um, When I was 17, um, a National Geographic appeared before me, and there was a picture of a centenarian on the cover. Um, I was enthralled by that, and people still write about centenarians, but that was one of the earlier things that was written, and I said, that's what I want to do. I want to take care of old people. I want to know what that's all about. And I also watched my mother... Um, fret about the care or lack of care for her parents, my grandparents, when I was when I was growing up, and she said, "You need to make a difference. You, if you're going to do this, you need to care for people and give them their attention." Uh. I, I was also influenced by the keynote address uh, at my high school graduation, um, and the uh, the person who gave that was a graduate of our high school, and he was an author. And I said, "I want to do that too." So when I grow up, I'm going to be a doctor and an author, and here I am. Well, you have achieved those goals, and I know goals are important <laughs> as we age to maintain those Certainly. goals. But So as a geriatrician, uh, you're, you're an expert in aging, but let's, let's make that a little more positive or broaden that a little bit. But, you know, aging, there's different ways to do it. And as baby boomers, again, we were the forever young generation. That's stretching things a bit. Uh, so why is it important that we we learn some of these these techniques and tips to remain youthful. Well, you know, it's interesting because there's how long you live and how healthy you are when you live it. So there's a thing called a lifespan, but there's also another concept called health span. And we all could 
potentially live to be 100, but if you're not enjoying it and you're not healthy, um, what's the use? So you want to have a health span that's long. And, and what I was able to do as a geriatrician is listen to people who had success stories. And I would even have lunch with my patients when they turned 100. So in my career, I had an opportunity to do that 10 or 12 times. You know, they were always my last patient of the morning. And I'd order them a sandwich or whatever, and we'd sit down, either just the two or three of us or my staff. And I kind of, the word I would use was kibitz with them. But, you know, I would ask them questions about what made them successful, what they enjoyed, what adventures they they had in life, um, and what their successes were. So, you know, I was generating food and interest in for my books and for my interest in life and how I was going to navigate to have the best health span I could. Um, and, and so baby boomers should be paying attention because I learned from these people and I expressed it in, in my writing. And, and I know from the very beginning when I started uh, writing my books, I would sit down at the keyboard and I'd say, what do my high school classmates, my baby boomer classmates need to hear from me? And, and that's always what, what motivated me to write whatever I've written. Well, uh, now that we have laid the groundwork, what are some of the things that you wrote about that can make such a difference as we age? I sat down, Eileen, with my patients who were aging well. I gave presentations in the community, and during that, it was kind of like a focus group. I'd ask people to tell me what were the successes in life, and I distilled it down to five things. And I chose five things because people can only remember five things anyway. So if I could just present everything as five things and say, go on your way, you'll remember these things, uh, I limited it that way. And then, particularly for I've got some good news and some bad news you're old, um, I came up with an acronym, (laughs) which I'll tell you about in a second, but it, it expressed those five things that were helping people become successful. So The first one is to have goal or a purpose in life. So people who had a purpose in life and and people who had a job when they were 70 or 80 or people who did volunteer work and were very committed to that, um, people who worked in their church or did volunteer work, those are the people who had the most satisfying lives and the longest lives and remain motivated. Uh, The second thing is your genes, your DNA. Um, I call it roots, and and roots could be the DNA, but they can also be your family tree, your roots, how deep your roots go in your family. And and I would tell people who had good DNA, uh, who had long life in their family, not to flaunt it, that to be respectful of those good genes and make it last. For people who had bad DNA and bad genes and early early death or early illness, to do everything they could to avoid that. Some of my patients did that successfully. The third is to have a positive attitude. But beyond positive attitude is to have gratitude. And, and I know this from listening to my patients, and, and it was really wonderful for those events to happen that I made a difference in people's lives when they would come back in and tell me about it. Well, it was nice to hear, but I watched the expression on their face And they got so much out of telling me how grateful they were that I I went and and did some more reading and found that it's amazing that when we express gratitude, it does our body good. 
We have release of certain neurochemicals. It reduces our stress and cortisol levels, and it's favorable for our health. The fourth of my items is uh, connectivity or connections with people. And so people who are connected through religious organizations, through clubs, through family, uh, have a much better uh, life expectancy. And the fourth, uh, the fifth letter is environment. Interacting well with your environment, living in a healthy place, avoiding pollution, avoiding cigarettes, alcohol, and also eating right and exercising and doing yoga. Those are the things that will promote a, a longer, healthier life. And when you put those five letters together, G-R-A-C-E, you have an easy-to-remember acronym, GRACE. You live your life with grace. You have five things that you wake up and you look at every day and say, I'm going to live my life with grace. I'm going to make sure I have goals and purpose. Uh, I'm going to check my DNA and and address it. I'm going to uh, have a positive attitude with gratitude. I'm going to make sure I have companionship, and um, I'm going to interact with my environment. So those are really things that were incredibly helpful in me deciphering what the successes of of my aging patients were. Boy, that is as just listening to you explain uh, grace. Uh, it really is wonderful the how you have distilled these aspects of the difference between making your you know just existing in the world and making your later years really meaningful to not only yourself but to others around you and I think the one the 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 having a purpose in life you know we can deal with the wrinkles, but if you feel like you're without purpose or without reason, that is really something. But before we get on to some other things, Dr. Bernstein, I wanted to ask you, uh, I've heard different statistics on this, but you're talking about your DNA. What is the percentage of how you live your life, your lifestyle, as versus your DNA in general for aging well? Um, I, I might say it's something like 50-50, Eileen. I mean, you can, uh-huh. I believe you can do a lot by making your lifestyle different. And, and I address that, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, you have nothing to lose by addressing your lifestyle and making your life better. You may not necessarily live longer, but that health span has a much greater likelihood of being better. Um, and I've seen that play out in my practice. Um, there, there's one particular woman who I, I really uh, in, enjoy taking care of, um, and she exercised every day at a particular spa, and she had friends, and they would go to lunch. I mean, she kind of incorporated that all together. And, and somewhere in her late 80s, uh, her memory started to slip, and she developed dementia. And, and I know that somebody would say, well, you know, all that didn't help her, all that things she did didn't help her. And I'd say, oh, on the contrary, she may have developed those things in her 70s if she didn't do all those things. Wow. And, and one of the really heartwarming things about, about taking care of that woman was that I took care of some of the friends that she worked, worked out with at the spa, and they loved her, and, and they embraced her, and they looked out for her. So, so there were things in there that were all part of that grace because the companionship she got out in that relationship with people who looked after her and who would basically spy on her and tell me about what was going on so <laughs> I could give her better care. 
Oh, that's a little trade secret of mine, but but um, <laughs> because I had to be a good detective. But um, you can do things to offset your DNA. Uh, another one of my patients who I was very fond of would tell me, well, doctor, you know I'm really fat, but I'm the one who survived longest in my family because I'm doing all these things to make my health better. And and he he really did. I mean, he he tell me that um, – all his brothers died when he was 52, and here he's in his mid-60s. Um, and he practiced, even though he was overweight, he practiced grace. I mean, he was at a pretty advanced age, was still working um, in our, um, as a general manager in, in an automobile um, company. Um, he knew what his roots were, his bad roots, but he had a positive attitude. I still get emails uh, as part of his list of with um, uh, important quotes that are good for, for living. He had companionship with friends who would travel to Italy and uh, cook and eat up a storm. Um, and, you know, he did exercise the best he could. So, um, you know, when you see that, it's just so... Um, so encouraging that we could make a difference in our lives. Oh, that is so great, yeah, because it's not only encouraging, it's empowering that we really do have hold the power to at least, you know, 50% of how we age can be under our own control. And two, all these things in grace, I mean, they, they are not only important, as you say, for, you know, maybe your physical health, but your mental well-being to know that you have a purpose in life and that you've got friends and that you, you know, kind of taking care of your environment. Wonderful. Well, Dr. Bernstein, while I've got you here, uh, we don't, although we want to remain on the positive side, but let's talk a little bit about some of the causes of illness because disability and illness are things that, you know, are real real challenges as we grow older? Well, Eileen, that's a great question. And I, and I want to tell you that I sat down and I made these little diagrams on my chalkboard, whiteboard, and hooked up letters and all this stuff. And, and what I realized in my work and in my practice that there were three main things I saw that are illnesses on our society, cardiovascular disease, cancer, and neurodegenerative disease. And neurodegenerative diseases are Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease. And through my research, I distilled that the main thing that holds them together, the commonality between them, is that they all have some relationship to chronic inflammation in our bodies. And if your your, um, listeners are paying attention and they look up chronic inflammation, it's a really serious problem. Um, And so um, I started to look at what were the things that we that that create that inflammation now now acute inflammation is something like when you get a, a splinter in your finger and it festers a little bit and you pull the splinter out and you get better but but chronic inflammation is a process that goes on that's simmering under the surface basically and it causes inflammation in our blood vessels and in our muscles in our brain and we believe that that's one of the things that causes cardiovascular disease and cancers and neurodegenerative disease so i started looking at all of those things and what can we do about it so what were the five things five remember people can remember five things that contribute to this inflammatory process well one is sugar and sweets and I tell people to avoid them another is stress 
uh, and I tell people to avoid them or do activities that will offset stress. And then I talk about sweat, getting exercise. I talk about getting sleep, which people have been very bad in our society about getting enough sleep. And I talk about sex. And for baby boomers, at least I learned that sex sells. So I wanted to include sex in my, in my formula because it would attract attention. <laughs> well, for some groups, it, it detracts attention. But sex is really about socialization uh, and companionship because companionship, is, as, as I've heard you talk to one of your other guests, is incredibly important. And sex is about intimacy. And the opposite of intimacy is loneliness. And loneliness is a health hazard. Um, and I believe it, it somewhere between 15 and 30, 15 and uh, 30 cigarettes a day um, is, is the equivalent. If you smoke 15 cigarettes a day, it's equivalent of uh, being lonely. So we want to avoid loneliness as, as one of the factors that would be contributing to our demise and our illness and our chronic inflamed state. Oh, that is so fascinating. I mean, I've heard of, you know, inflammation, and it's it's something that a lot of, you know, you'll read articles or whatever about health, and a lot of them do mention it, but I didn't realize what a pivotal role it plays in so many facets of illness. I mean, geez. And I did want to mention, too, which I'm going to say again, but uh, you've got a great website, and your wife has created the Power of Five Test Kitchen, where she does recipes that I am sure are great for anti-inflammatory foods and diet. That's correct. And it, the Power 5 Test Kitchen is in our house. So I eat those recipes every day. And uh, they're delicious and, and they're anti-inflammatory. And she provides in her Power of 5 Test Kitchen cookbooks and, and recipes that she posts online um, she provides all kinds of modifications, and my wife's name is Melissa, so we call them Melissa's Modifications, where if people <laughs> are gluten-free, they, they do one thing. If they want to be a pescatarian but follow this, this diet, they can do another thing. Um, my wife and I eat a plant-based diet. That's really hard for most people. So um, at the very least, I think the research is really clear that a Mediterranean lifestyle is probably the healthiest type of lifestyle you could eat. And so making adjustments within her recipes that may add a little bit of red meat if you feel you need to and eat fish and chicken in small quantities, but, but increase the amount of vegetables and fruits um, is better for our planet. It's better for our bodies. Um, it's better for the animals. So um, there are a number of reasons why why we do those things. Well, and two, and when I was way. thinking about that, what you just said is if we eat a, a diet that's good for our bodies, that's good for the planet, that's good for the animals, that also factors into the uh, wanting a purpose to get up in the morning. You feel good about yourself. And, of course, oh, yeah. you know, Hey, way back, every grandma, grandpa out there, eat your vegetables. I mean, they really are the key to a lot of, of health and, and mm -hmm. anti-inflammatory sure. diets. And well, so you listen. Formula, oh, go ahead. So, so that formula sorry, that ahead. I talked about, so that formula that I talked about that, that I read off all began with the letter S. 
So people can remember five things that begin with the letter S, and that's that's my power of five, and and that's what I get up for every. That's what I get up for, and I journal every day. Am I getting my sleep? Am I getting my seven or eight hours of sleep? Have I reduced the sugar in my diet? Have I uh, worked on meditation and stress reduction? Um, and and it, and sort of like a check check mark next to every one every day, every one of those things every day is the thing that's going to propel me to the longer, healthier life. Wow. And one of the things about stress is uh, I actually, I, I moved fairly recently, and boy, I <laughs> I really did myself in because of stress and, you know, and all that. So you think as you age, well, stress would go out of your life, but not really. Being lonely is really stressful. Yes, it is. And... Uh, one of the things that, that I've used in, in my paradigm for all of this is all of those things that I mentioned need to be done with intention. I'm going to intentionally change what I eat. I'm going to intentionally change when and how much exercise I do. And, and there's an awkward one. I like that word, awkward. It's awkward to want to make friends with people and be less lonely. And I practice medicine for 40 years and people would come to me and now it's the tables are turned a little bit and, and I need to be more sociable um, and I my wife and I know I, we need to have more friends and we need to be sociable and go out and do things and it's, it's a bit awkward um, I've enjoyed that part of doing things I had breakfast with a, a, a new person I met this week and, and a few months ago, uh, another person that I'm sort of bringing into my life, um, and we have our family and our kids live in, in, in distant cities, Chicago and, and Los Angeles and Portland. Um, so we, we make a life for ourselves here, but it, they don't come knocking on our door. We need to go out and do that. And it's one of the more challenging things in my power of five, five S's to, to do that. And uh, it's something that I encourage people to do and find ways of doing it. And even, say, if you are, I mean, COVID was just awful in that regard as far as being lonely. And you heard about people in assisted living with their doors shut and the meals would be delivered to their rooms and all. So that was a really stressful lonely time for a lot of us but but uh i think too if we can given you know the restrictions that some of us are still under the covid restrictions but the more we can get out and the more we can stretch that circle of friends as you just said i think is just it's positive on so many levels absolutely correct and and people don't think that a medical doctor would be talking about those things but I know from my research, I know from my patients, I know from my healthiest patients, my, my best patients who did grace the best, they came from a community that was really well-connected and not only well-connected in terms of uh, seeing each other and, and going for uh, dinners after church because they were a religious group, but also looking out for each other's health. And I don't think I committed any HIPAA violations uh, in my practice. I wouldn't admit to any anyway. But, um, but <laughs> patients would come in and tell me about, oh, did you know that Mary was 
she's still driving and you, you, she, you all know you told her to stop driving or, do you know, Mary, we haven't seen much of Mary. She hasn't been out very much. And, you know, we think that there's something going on with her. You, you think you can give her a call. Oh, and, you know, I said, I'll check and see when her appointment is. And thank you because it's part of my detective work to, to kind of get in with patients and try and figure out what's going on. So, um, having those connections, having that that community is incredibly important. And like I said, people don't think a doctor considers that, but I did. Oh, Dr. Bernstein, you sound wonderful. I mean, that's what we all wish we had is a doctor who literally cared, you know, on a one-on-one basis and wasn't looking at the clock. Oh, you've got, I only have 10 minutes for you, you know. This is, uh, yeah. I mean, I can imagine your patients were so grateful and so happy to have connected with you. So they said, and, you know, I I would look at my watch and say, uh, I can't get out of this room just yet. I got to solve this and I would be behind schedule and, and um, do some of my uh, paperwork during lunch hour uh, to catch up. But, but being able to help people out that way. And, and, you know, you could, you could accuse me of um, that was my ability to gain stories and an understanding about people as they age so I could be in this position uh, to talk to audiences and people like you, Eileen. Well, yes, you have taken that that care and compassion and science-backed research and broadened it to give it ah, to a larger audience, and we all appreciate that. Well, Dr. Bernstein, we're going to have to close pretty soon, but um, I do want to stress again, you do have such a fabulous website. Your wife, again, has done the Power of Five Test Kitchen Kit. Well, I can't even talk kitchen. And uh, you also, uh, if you sign up for the newsletter, I've gotten already received a valuable free gift. So where can our listeners go to find out more information about you, your work? I know you also do, you present in front of audiences, as you said, and your incredibly helpful tips. Well, uh, people can go to my website, davidbernsteinmd.com. I think they can go to my wife's website, um, or a, so, a spot within my website called uh, Power of Five Test Kitchen, and uh, or they can Google that, and there is an opportunity to get a free holiday cookbook uh, that um, we get rave reviews on and people are using in the holiday season um, to wow their, um, their family and their guests. Um, they're all tested on me, and I haven't died yet. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I compliment my wife with every meal she makes. There's always something different and special. And um, I've written my three book, my four books, The Power of Five, uh, Ultimate Form of Longevity and Remaining Youthful. And I've got some good news and some bad news. You're all tales of a geriatrician. I did write a book called The Senior Driving Dilemma, topic for another show maybe. And then my wife's book that she's published is The Power of Five, Test Kitchen, Caregiver Edition. And the caregiver edition is special because it's written for caregivers to incorporate or engage a loved one or a care recipient in the kitchen for um, a project of cooking. So she's got uh, um, uh, um, uh, quesadillas, I think is what she made in that. And so she, she brought people in the kitchen and they talked about music that would stimulate them and they reminisced over things as they were preparing a meal and the care recipient, maybe someone with Parkinson's or dementia had an opportunity to participate in the meal preparation. And so it's a really good opportunity, maybe even again around the holidays to incorporate 
um, someone who's just sitting on the couch doing nothing into doing a project in the kitchen that's going to result in a fulfilling meal. Food for thought. Oh, Dr. Bernstein, yeah, I'm thinking that just covers, you know, the goals, the reason, the purpose for living, the com- camaraderie, and, you know, then coming up with something that's going to be good for your DNA. I love it. Dr. Bernstein, this has been so helpful, and you have been so gracious and warm. I hope I can talk you into coming back again and delving deeper into your wonderful power of five, uh, however you grace or the five S's, whatever you choose to talk about. This has been delightful. Thank you so so much. It's been a pleasure for me, Irene. I really appreciate the opportunity to share my thoughts. Well, your information has been incredibly uh, valuable. Uh, your expertise, of course, you, you, were, you were and are a physician, and your insights have been very, very uh, supportive for those of us who have concerns about aging. So for all of you listeners out there, please do check out uh, Dr. Bernstein's website and his books. I promise you're going to gain a ton of valuable information and ensure your own well-being and life satisfaction uh, will be in place, maintaining that throughout our later years. So until next time, this is Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio. Then I'll catch you later. Bye-bye.